beautiful and powerful song of access to the throne of grace, the mercy of God that He hears us, and the peace that we find in His presence. Uh, as I come this morning to talk about peace again, I'm thinking as I was thinking it was not too long ago that we talked about peace, uh, and then my thought is, can you talk too much about peace? Is it something that we arrive at in such a way that we don't need to be reminded and called again to that mercy seat where we find his peace renewed and refreshed? We're in John chapter 16, verses 29 to 33 closing verses of that chapter before Jesus breaks into prayer in the upper room at his last night with his disciples as he's trying to prepare them for his departure, for the nature of his departure, and to pray for them in his absence. And in this little final interchange that they have, John 16, 29 to 23, hear then the word of God. His disciples said, and now you're speaking plainly. And not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and you don't need anyone to question you. And this is why we believe that you came from God. And Jesus answered them and said, do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come. When you will be scattered, each of you to his own home, and you will leave me alone. And yet I am not alone. For the Father is with me. I've said these things to you that in me you might have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we have gathered this morning longing to bring our hearts and our souls to you in worship, to know you and to love you, but Father also to hear you speak into our lives with power and with purpose. Father, we long to see your kingdom come and we long to see our hearts changed and transformed into the likeness of Jesus and we know that as we sit at your feet, that you do that work which only you can do. Have your way with us this morning. Soften our hearts and open our minds that we might hear your voice and be changed. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Jesus wants his peace to reign in our hearts. I mean, it's clear again and again in the scripture as he speaks to us, Jesus wants his peace to reign in our hearts and to set us free from all those things that would hold us back and hold us down, that would leave us paralyzed from emotions that would cripple us. We touched on this before as we passed through John 14. It's there in your bulletin. In John 14, you remember Jesus says, peace I leave with you. It's my inheritance, it's what I bequeath to you as I, as I leave, it's my peace that I give to you as your inheritance. Not just any peace, but my peace, the peace that I have with the Father, the peace that I have experienced, the peace that has, that has helped me to endure what I have endured in these years and what will carry me through these next hours. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives it, do I give it? So don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't let them be afraid. Right? Jesus does not want us to live in fear. He doesn't want us to live in insecurity. He doesn't want us to live in discontentment and anxiety and to be 
troubled. He doesn't want us to live in that place. He wants us to have his, his peace. It's one of the first fruits of his victory. One of the first fruits that is poured out from his work on the cross through his death and his resurrection and ascension and session at the right hand of the Father and outpouring of his Holy Spirit and the fruits of that Spirit which, which come to begin to shape who we are in our lives and the first fruits of joy and peace. He has won for us an inheritance of peace. You know, I always saw the first fruits of the Spirit, those first three in that list, love, joy, and peace, as is set off from the rest. I, I've come to think of it, I guess, similarly to the way I think of the Ten Commandments. If you've been taught on those in any systematic way, they tell you there are two tables to those commandments. There's the first four, which have to do with your vertical relationship with who, you and God. And then the last six, which have more to do with the horizontal relationship of how we live that relationship out in relationship to each other. So we, we just read three of the commandments, you know, that we have have no other God, that we don't have idols in our lives, we don't worship other things, that, that, we, um, that we don't uh, take his name in vain, you know, that we live out consistently a life that is inconsistent with the name that he has given us, that we honor the Sabbath day and keep it holy. It's all about our relationship with him. And then we live that out in relationship with each other. We're faithful like he is. We stop lying and bearing false witness. Like we're, we're truthful as he is, and we begin to be like the God whom we, we worship. But you can't really do the, the last six well if you don't have the first four, in a sense, down, right? To, ha- to love the Lord your God with all your heart and to put away idols and to you know, really live consistently with who he's making us to be and to honor the Sabbath in the sense that we, we have sacred time set apart to know him and to love him. And then we live it out. The fruits of the spirits are this way. Those first three, three, those first three are really set apart. Love, joy, and peace. In some ways, those are the fruits of the first table. That's the way I think about it. You know, there is, there is a love that is, that, that is horizontal, but, you know, when, when Jesus speaks of love first and foremost, you have to take the first and greatest commandment, right? It's going to have to first be about loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then joy and peace, which really have to do with internal, soul-shaping who we are with God. And then we live out the rest of the fruits, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness. But without that first triad, I don't think that we do very well at living out the rest. If there's not that loving of the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and that joy of your salvation and the peace that comes in knowing Christ, it's hard to be the person that follows in the rest of the fruits. If we're not experiencing those first three. The more we experience and exhibit the first three of those fruits, the lighter, the lighter his yoke easier our burden when our souls are marked by that love, that joy, that peace, that peace that is our inheritance, that Jesus wins for us and bequeaths to us as he goes. Love orients our motives and we do all things out of a return of love to the God who have loved us so well. Peace or the joy of the Lord which is our strength. 
right, which is that which charges our batteries to serve the living God and that peace which sets us free from those things that would paralyze us. Many of us are paralyzed by our fear, by our anxieties, our worries, that we are disturbed about and worried about many things. And the freedom that comes when those things fall away. Trials will test our faith. Circumstances will tempt you to be discontent. Anxieties can almost literally make you crazy. Fear can crush our spirit. Jesus says that he can set us free. Jesus says, I can set you free from all that. He who the Son has made free is free indeed. He says, I can set you free from all of that with my peace. It's within my power. It's one of my gifts. And I want to give it to you. I want you to have it and to know it and to experience it. And so as he leaves, he says, take heart. It's an interesting phrase. And actually in the Greek, I looked it up because I'm like, what, what exactly is he? And, and the word heart is not in the Greek text. It's a, it's a single word. It's a unique word. And uh, it always comes as a command in the New Testament. Anywhere it shows up, it's a command. Uh, it's sometimes translated as take heart. I think in the English, I mean, that's an idiom that they're trying to capture a, a, this idea that comes out of the language. Um, you see the King James translates it as uh, be of good cheer. You know, it's kind of like buck up, you know, or, or chin up, buddy. You know how when we're down, when we're afraid, when we're depressed, when we're troubled, you know, we tend to literally droop, you know, and to nod. And he's, you know, it's that whole chin up, buddy. Look it in the eye. Look it in the face. Right? Chin up. Be of good cheer. Take courage. And that literally is at the heart of that word is that idea is take courage. Or underneath all that is be at peace. Take heart. The disciples are about to go through the fieriest tribulation. They're about to go through the worst experiences of their entire lives. The hammer is about to fall. And Jesus knows it. He knows that they are going to be afraid. They are going to be confused. They're going to be troubled. The authorities are going to become, they've been scheming in the background, but the authorities are about to become openly hostile, right? Where they've been scheming about taking Jesus prisoner, they're going to arrest him. And they're going to watch the disciples who have walked with him and their whole hopes and dreams and everything else are fixed. All their eggs are in this basket. Jesus will be arrested and they're going to watch him suffer and be beaten and mistreated and nailed to a cross and murdered. And their world is going to be rocked and it's going to shake them to the core. And Jesus knows it. This is the last thing he says before he prays for them. Maybe you're going through some kind of fire. They say there are three kinds of people in the world. Those who are just come out of a difficult time. Those who are in the middle of a difficult time. And those who are about to go through a difficult time. You know, that life, as Jesus says, he affirms so clearly, in this world, you will have tribulation. So if it isn't behind you and you're not standing in the midst of it, then it's coming. Because that's the way this life is. 
this life will not end well in one sense for, for us. Perhaps you're going through the fires now. Perhaps you're standing in the midst of them now. But Jesus would have a word with you. Jesus would have this word with you. He wants to have this conversation with his people. It's recorded here for us. It's interesting in verses 29 and 30, this little last section, that the last little interchange between them starts with a confession of faith. Right? It begins with this declaration. You know, the disciples are saying, well, now you're talking. Now we get what you're saying. Now we understand you. Right? Now we know. And that's why now we, we believe that you're God's man. Right? You're God's man. We get it. There's a sense where all of us start there, don't you? We all start there. It's this confession of faith. Jesus is the Son of God. You're God's man. We get it. We believe it. And in this moment of calm, tucked away in the upper room, unaware of entirely what's about to happen, it's easy to believe. It's easy to stand in faith. But Jesus warns them and he says, my friends, it will not be long where things are going to go south. Things were not going to continue in this little moment here. You are going to be tested. You're going to find yourselves saying, perhaps, I believe, but help my unbelief. Right? As the rubber meets the road, as things, the sparks start to fly. Jesus says in 31 and 32, he says, do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, the hour is here, my friends. Sometimes I try to imagine how Jesus says that. When Jesus says something like that, also, you now believe? You know, does he say that? Is there a sigh in his voice? Now? Is there a smirk on his face? Is there a little bit of a chuckle? <laughs> you know, in his heart, you know, now you believe. Okay. You know, there's all these ways you can kind of see as Jesus is interacting with this confession of faith that these guys put out there. Now we get it. And Jesus says, oh, so now you get it? Check it out. Things are going to get ugly. You really get it? Because I want you to really get it. Tomorrow, the time is upon us. The time of testing is here. This is true for every single one of us. If the hour is not already here, and I know for many of you that hour is here. I, I know enough of you well, and I know what has going on when it rains, it pours. And for many, that hour is here. We find ourselves wrestling, squirming, doubting, struggling hurting. Jesus frankly says, in this life, you will experience tribulation. It's another good word. It's, a, it's more of a word picture. The word translated tribulation is a word that literally means to be under pressure, you know, to be being pressed together, to being squeezed from the outside. So outward circumstances that, that put pressure on us. And even our own bodies are the outward circumstances, so to speak, to our souls. They put pressure on our hearts, on our love and our joy and our peace and who, who we are inside. And so this word, this I think a great word, when the pressure comes, and it comes in so many forms, in this world you will be squeezed by circumstances. We all know this pressure. 
You don't have to be very old. Our young people know this pressure. Pressures that trouble the soul. Pressures that disturb our peace. Pressures that rob us from the joy of our salvation. You know, but here's the thing with the disciples. The disciples don't know what's coming. They don't know what's around the corner. They don't know what they're about to face. Jesus has been trying to tell them. He's hinting at it all along the way. He's speaking to it. In fact, in this passage, it's kind of like they're, they're saying, now you're talking plainly. You know, now we're starting to get it. And Jesus is, tells them again gently, no, you don't fully get it. What's about to come down the pike. You don't fully understand what this is all about. They don't know what's coming, but here's the thing. Jesus does. Jesus is standing there in full knowledge. Not only what they will face, but how they will respond and what will happen. When Jesus falls into darkness, the fellowship of the king is going to be broken and scattered. And he sees it coming. Strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. And worst of all, they're going to leave him to suffer alone, right? He tells them that. You're going to be scattered. You're each going to go home and you're going to leave me. You're going to leave me alone. Fear takes over. They deny him. They run for cover. At the foot of the cross, we know John was there and a couple of girls, a couple of ladies. The men were scattered, hiding. And Jesus takes his own advice in this passage as he says, Behold, the hour is coming. This is going to come. You know, you're going to be scattered because I'm going to be struck. And he knows what's about to come down the pike. And he takes his own advice. He takes heart. He takes courage, doesn't he? What does he say? Alone, yet not alone. I mean, isn't that awesome? I mean, isn't that what it comes down to in, in a nutshell? Alone, maybe, but not alone. The Father is with me. Father is always with me. He's a man of sorrow. He's acquainted with grief. He is betrayed and hated and murdered. But he's not alone. Never alone. You know, it's interesting as he says this to them. Tomorrow it's going to get ugly. You're going to be scattered. I'm going to be, you're going to leave me alone. I'm going to be alone. He says all of this, and he doesn't give them a chance to respond. If, the, if, he, if he gave them a chance to respond, who would be the first one? And what would he say? Right? It's going to be Peter. It's going to be some bold proclamation. Not me, Lord. I'm going to stand like a rock. I'm not scattered. I'm not going home. I'm staying right here. I don't care what happens. Peter who denies him three times in the next hour. Jesus doesn't let them respond. Why doesn't he let them respond? He just rolls on. Right? He tells them these things which are pretty disturbing. But what does he say next? He moves immediately to comforting them. He moves immediately to encouraging them. He moves immediately to gentleness with them. The gentleness of Jesus. The gentleness of our Savior. That is, he stands seeing their failure and all that is about to happen, and he knows how bad it's going to get and and that they're going to abandon him, and he sees it and he knows it, but he does not take that opportunity to rebuke them. In this moment, he's gentle. He 
speaks peace. He warns them of the trial. He tells them what's going to happen. He assures them of his own strength. And he encourages them. It will be okay, he tells them. In verse 33, in fact, he says, I tell you these things that in me you may have peace. I tell you these things not to crush you. I tell you these things not to discourage you. I tell you these things so that you know that I know and that you can have peace, that it's okay, that I'm still on your side. You will have tribulation in this world. You know, I want you to understand that, but take heart. I overcome the world. That's what this is about. Guys, you're going to be tested. You're going to fail. But have courage. You may lose this battle, my friends. But I am going to win this war. <laughs> and I'm going to win it for you. Let's take just a moment then and unpack some of this. A few minutes. The implications, the applications of this little interchange between Jesus and his disciples and his very last words to them that we have in this section. There is prevailing peace, I think, as we look at this text, even in our sin and in our failure. Right? As we just said and as we just saw, that <clears throat> Jesus knows that the disciples are going to deny him and desert him, that he's going to die alone. But Jesus is full of nothing in this moment but compassion. Jesus looks at them fully knowing what is going to happen and how they're going to behave. They're going to behave poorly. Right? And he looks at them and he knows this. And he preemptively offers them forgiveness. I mean, isn't that just inherent in the words? I want you to have my peace. The peace I'm about to win by bearing your sin and failure in my own body on the cross. You know, I tell you these things so that you will have peace. He forgives them, preemptively offers them forgiveness and mercy his gentleness. He says, I say these things to set you free. I say these things so that you will not be burdened by guilt. I say them so that you don't have to be afraid. I say them to you so that you will know that I know and that I get it, that I understand. I want to free you from a sense of failure. See, Jesus knew the depth of their failure before they did. And he knows the depth of your failure before you do. You don't know your failure until you do it. And often when you fail, it totally surprises you. When you sin, when you stumble, when you are weak, when you show all of these things in your life, there are many times it surprises us. What's wrong with me? I can't believe I did that. I'm so, you know, and it surprises us. But here's the thing. It does not surprise Jesus Christ. He stands looking, fully knowing. The hour is coming. In fact, the hour is here. In this world, you will have tribulation. You will struggle. You will stumble. It will be hard for you, but take heart, my friends. You know, it's as if he is saying, I am I'm going now to the cross to die, even for the stuff that you don't know you're going to do wrong yet. And even on this day, as you have your faith in Christ and what he has done for you on the cross, that he dies for all the things that you don't even know that you're still going to do wrong starting the minute you leave here. Our weakness surprises us. But see, this is the thing. Jesus knew before you were born what it was going to cost. 
to redeem you fully, completely, all of your sin, your whole life, from your birth to your death. See, we think from that moment we come to Jesus and now, you know, what about after that? Where He knew your whole life, you, you as to be his child, what it would cost to pay for all of your sins. Past, present, future. Ones you haven't even dreamed of yet that you're going to commit and he has already in the blood of his cross purchased you. <clears throat> We're discovering what a mess we are. At least I am every day. Continue to discover what a mess I am. But Jesus has always known. And by his blood, he says, peace. Peace. Prevailing peace even in our sin and in our failure. There is a freedom here you cannot imagine to forget what is behind and to press on toward what is ahead. Right? But there's also a peace in our, our loneliness. And I love that phrase of Jesus's, you know, alone, yet I'm not alone. Father is with me, alone but not alone. He says this immediately after. He says, the Father is with me. I say these things to you so that you'll have peace. Right? Immediately after he says, the Father is with me, I am at peace. I am not alone. But he says, I want you to have peace too. Edwards says it like this, Jonathan Edwards. He says, that peace which has been described in which the believers enjoy is a participation of the peace that their glorious Lord and Master Himself enjoys. It's the peace of Christ. Of Jesus knowing the Father is with Him. It allows Him to endure the cross, scorning its shame, and for the joy that is before Him, conquering. You know, often we feel alone. There's no one, I don't know that there's anyone, even in a crowd. There are times I'm at a church functions and I feel alone. Right? And that's not a criticism to anybody in particular. We all have that kind of experience because there are just times in ways that <clears throat> no matter how sympathetic people are, nobody knows my pain. Right? Nobody knows what I'm going through. Nobody knows my hurt. Nobody knows my struggle. And even if I share it with you, at some level, you'll be sympathetic with me, but there's always an, or often this sense that I'm in here, this head of mine, alone. Jesus says, never alone. Never alone. No. Repent of the thought. Repent of the thought. Where, where other people may or may not understand, where other people may or may not be able to get in there with you, he says, the Father is always with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Never alone. Repent of the thought. Take heart. Take heart. Chin up, my friends. Look it in the eye. I am there. I am here. And I am with you. And don't you doubt it. Don't you forget it. Rebuke the devil and he will flee from you. There is prevailing peace in our sin and our failure. There's prevailing peace in our loneliness. There's prevailing peace in our tribulation. When we're under that pressure, when we're in that struggle, Jesus still says take heart because peace is not found in our circumstances. And we all know this one, right? Peace is not found in our circumstances. We said if only it would all work out, you know, I'd be fine. But God says you can be fine. Even if it doesn't work out the way you think it should. Peace is not 
Peace is not found in the circumstances, but in the God of the circumstances. Jesus' circumstances are going to go very poorly, but he says, I'm not alone, and the Father is with me. And I will endure the cross, and I will scorn its shame, and I will conquer. I will overcome the world. Greater is he that is in you than, in, than he that is in the world than any pressure that can be brought to bear. He says, peace is the gift of God. Jesus is not interested in something so trivial as making our circumstances easier. That's not his mission. If you think that's Jesus' mission, you're in for a harsh reality and a wake-up call because you will face again and again and again in one way or another the failing of this flesh and the fading of this world. Jesus is not so much interested in our worldly circumstances. On the cross, Jesus intends to overcome the whole thing. He intends to overcome sin, death, hell, and to leave this inheritance of peace and life that surpasses the boundaries even of death. Some people scoff at it as pie in the sky. We've all heard that expression, and then you're like, You know, we wrestle with it. Sometimes we want to distance ourselves from it. As if eternal hope was a small and trivial thing, like pie. Eternal hope. As if the forgiveness of our sins, the deliverance from death and hell, and the gift of an eternal life beyond the borders of death were a small, trivial thing, pie in the sky. Have a slice. You know, bring it on. This world is passing. Paul says it this way, 2 Corinthians 4, it's in your bulletin under the last point. Paul says this, we do not lose heart, right? That's what Jesus says, take heart, my friends. And Paul says that, doing it. We don't lose heart. Why? The outer self is wasting away, facing tribulation, under pressure, right? Fading and dealing with all that. The, the outer self is fading away, but the inner Self is being renewed through love, joy, peace, the hope of eternal life, the gifts of forgiveness and the conquering of death and and the, the deliverance from fear and anxiety over these things. The inner self is being renewed. This light and momentary affliction, which is Paul's way of putting that tribulation you'll have in the world in perspective. In this world, you will have tribulation. Paul says, in this world, you'll have light and momentary affliction. But it's preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. It's beyond all comparison. So we don't look at the things, the, the, the things that are seen, the tribulation, it struggles, it trials, it You know, we don't fix our eyes on the problems and live in this moment in fear and anxiety and complaining and discontentment and the whole business. He says we we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Because these things are eternal. Do not lose heart. Take heart. Find courage. Our hope is an eternal weight that outweighs them all. There is an eye in every storm. There is a center of calm in a world of chaos. There is a place where God abides, where his promises are true. 
where his peace is given, where there is love and there is joy and there is peace. And it's a place that can never be taken from you. I am not alone, right? I am never alone. The Father is with me. And he brings his gifts and he brings his kingdom. And he brings all that is ours, a foretaste of all that is ahead. You might say, Robert, you've convinced me. Bring it on. Give me this piece. I'll have, some, I'll have a slice too. Right? I sit, set me a place at the table. I'm in. Where can I go to get this treasure, this peace that overcomes, it triumphs, it prevails? Even in the midst of all of the worst things. And you know the answer. Prevailing peace is found only in the prevailing Christ. It is found in him. That's what verse 33 he says. In me, in me, you may have peace. There's nowhere else to go, my friend. Jesus alone has the words of life. All other ground is sinking sand. We need to go to Christ. We need to put our faith in Christ. We need to abide in Christ. We need to abide in the word of Christ and let it speak into our lives and into our souls to shape our thinking and our believing and our hoping and and let this, you know, saturate who we are. Go to Jesus. Go to his word. Go to his presence. Paul says it this way. Don't be anxious about anything. Take heart. Be at peace. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, but in everything, go to Jesus. In everything, fly to Jesus. In everything, plead with Christ. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, is not bound to your circumstances, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ. This morning, many of us need to hear Jesus saying, take heart. I need, there are some mornings I need to hear Jesus say, take heart. Chin up, buddy. Chin up, brother. Look it in the face. I'm with you. Stop pretending I'm not. Stop acting like I'm not. Stop believing like I'm not. Chin up, my friend. Though you pass through the waters, they will not overcome you. Though you pass through the fire, they will not consume you. Tribulation is inevitable. But Jesus says victory is inevitable also. Christ has overcome the world. And yea, though you walk through even the valley of the shadow of death, you need fear no evil. Why? Because he is with me. The Father is with me. Never alone. The mountains may depart. The hills may be removed. But my steadfast love will not depart from you. My covenant of peace will not be removed, says the Lord. In this world, you will have tribulation. You will feel alone and you will fail Jesus, but he says, my friends, your Savior will never fail you. And even as he speaks to the wind and to the waves, he will speak to the turbulent waters of your soul. Peace. Be still. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, we would hear these words and we would hear them with power. We would have you speak them to our souls and set us free. We would know the joy of our salvation the joy of the Lord which is our strength, the peace that passes understanding and sets us free from our fears. Oh, come near, Holy Spirit, and bear these fruits in us, love and joy and peace, that we might be people of patience and kindness and goodness, 
faithfulness and gentleness and self-control that we might be godly people. Come near, Lord Jesus, in our, in our tribulation. Hear us cry. Speak peace. For we ask in your name.